Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. My name is Alan, with me as always is Gareth. Hello. And today we are talking about Extras, the Ricky Gervais vehicle, of course, he wrote it as well, uh, with Steve Merchant. So the 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 difficult second album to The Office, basically, mm-hmm. is what this is, um, and we'll get into all that. As usual, we will be focusing on one specific episode and sort of going through that in detail and using that as to branch off and talk about the show in general. And this week we've gone for the last episode of series one, uh, Patrick Stewart. Yes. Named after the celebrity guest. You know, the reason why I thought we should do this ex- uh, episode is it's sort of a branch between series one and series two. And as we'll go on to discuss, I think the two series are very different in tone and, yes. and kind of in content as well. Yes, I agree. Uh, I do think there's big differences between those series and we'll get into that as well. But uh, just to let's start with the basics here. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what extras when extras came out. So series one, it was six episodes. July to August 2005, followed by Series 2 a year later, September 2006, six episodes again. And then over a year later in Christmas 2007, they did that big finale, mm. hour and a half See, special. That's interesting, watching it again this week. I, obviously, I remember the finale. I hadn't remembered it was a whole year later. And it, obviously, mm. I, I remembered it as a Christmas special, but I didn't realize it was so much, so much time passed between the two. Yeah, I don't know why, particularly. They didn't just do it in 2006, but just... I think they they do what they want, really, don't they? They like to take their time. Well, well, that is an interesting way of putting it. I don't know if that was just a little uh, slip of the tongue there, but they do what they want. <laughs> that kind of summarizes Ricky Gervais's television career, <laughs> yeah, to, well, for better or for worse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think that that's interesting. And so, 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 being serious, then they do what they want. So, extras clearly was, as you said, after The Office. And The Office had just been this huge success. Why don't we go back and have a little bit of a chat about... Not, we're not going to cover The Office in detail, but I suppose it tells us a little bit about Gervais and Merchant and their background. Do you want to start there? Well, maybe we need to go back to Gervais and Merchant, or how they came about. Yeah, let's do that. As In general. So I'm, I think you're going to be the same here, but after the success of The Office, uh, your main contact with Gervais and Merchant was on their XFM radio show. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, in which, you know, with, with their producer, Carl Pilkington, there is hours and hours and hours of material of them just sort of chatting to each other and um, having a bit of fun. And that's probably, in t- certainly in terms of, minutes of material that's my main contact with these guys yeah i think so and like like a lot of um comedy re- comedy performers slash radio presenters there's a real skill in that in, in, in basically just riffing for hours and having a, mm. that sort of conversation you know you think of uh, like adam and joe that sort of um yeah. double act it's not easy and it's really hard to stay entertaining for that long and that is something that gervais and merchant are were very good at yeah the question is does that translate into scripted sitcom well well interestingly you know you if you listen to the xfm radio shows which are now all sort of available on youtube and stuff like that they're easy to find mm. so many so many things that are in those conversations you you end up seeing in one of their shows oh, definitely. It's just, there's a lot there's a lot of ricky gervais material that, that comes out of andy millman's mouth oh yeah yeah and it's that makes sense you know they're obviously using that as a platform to like you say riff off each other they're mm-hmm. bouncing ideas off and then they kind of go oh, that that worked Oh, Carl Pilkington said something funny. I'll put that into the mouth of a character who's an yes. idiot. <laughs> so, and I think that's fair enough. You know, that's a great way of. Um, it seems like their their writing style is sort of talking to each other and kind of doing character mm-hmm. bits against each mm-hmm. other and then seeing what works. Uh, but yeah, let me get into how they met a little bit. So 
background of, let's do Ricky Gervais first. He was, you know, he's brought up in Reading. And perhaps this is telling of, of how his personality. He is the fourth child of four, but his three siblings are mm. all sort of 10 to 15 years older than him. Mm, yeah. He's not he's just the youngest, the youngest child, but he's, he's, yeah, uh, he was an accident, obviously, but, as, as his mum told him. Uh, but um, but I, perhaps that says something about his personality, about, you know, what you think about the youngest child. Uh, but, but basically, he was born in 1961, proper working class background, but ended up going to university mm. uh, in the early 80s, which is also where he met his partner, who he's still with now, Jane Fallon, who has endured him for 40 years. Yeah. So good good on her uh, <laughs> good showbiz relationship that. <laughs> so and, and like you know there's all this classic footage of him in his in his new wave tight suits and his very chiseled jaw trying to be david bowie kind of yeah. um, singing He was in a band, wasn't he? There's the, Shauna dancing. Yeah, there's some great photographs of him in that band, looking like a tubby uh, new romantic. He's not a tubby though at all. He's so skinny in that. Like, <laughs> that's projection, isn't it? That's that's me back projecting. <laughs> He's only twenty two or whatever he is, <laughs> isn't that? But yeah, they had a couple of singles, but obviously it didn't really come to anything. But like that was his first brush with like he obviously wants to be a performer. He wants to he wants to be a pop star so much. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> but then oh, so what I know about him from like there's a big gap between sort of nineteen eighty three and nineteen ninety eight in his kind of life story that yeah. I can't get to. But you know, he was working as an events manager for University of London Union. He booked bands. There's a famous story that he was the manager of Suede before they became famous. Like, so he was obviously yeah. just in the music more than um, you know acting. He was in the music world. Mm -hmm. uh, but then he, however, this happened. He got a job as head of speech for XFM. So yeah. that was a London-based yeah. radio station. What head of speech is? I'm not entirely sure. I don't think he was either. Uh, judging from what he said about it. Yeah, the stories that he got the job and didn't have a clue what he was doing. So he looked for a capable assistant. Yeah, and that capable assistant was Stephen Merchant, yes, uh, who is quite a bit younger. So Merchant born in nineteen seventy four. So when he when he joined XFM, he was kind of straight out of uni. He'd done mm -hmm. uh, he studied film and literature at uni, and but had got into the radio game there, like at the yeah. university radio station. So that was he wanted to do that as well. He was definitely thinking more in terms of radio. So that's how they met at that job, and they obviously clicked. They started bouncing off each other and et cetera, et cetera. They started doing things on the radio. And that mm -hmm. quickly transferred into like little comedy bits, sketches. They started writing sketches together. I know certainly Stephen Merchant at this time was trying his hand at stand-up uh, yeah. just around the circuit. Yeah. And so they they started writing sketches uh, for things uh, like The Sketch Show, uh, yeah. which, you know, the Lee Mack was in that, wasn't he? Yeah, we've come across that before, I think. And then perhaps most significantly, The 11 O'Clock Show. So when did we talk? We've talked about The 11 O'Clock Show before, haven't we? When who who was it we were talking about that with? Uh, it must have been when we did the Inbetweeners, uh, because right. Ian yes, Morris and Dan Beasley were at yes. Channel Four at the time. They were involved in that, but so were so many people. It seemed to be such a nexus of of com comedic talent. Mm. And so I know, for example, all these guys worked on it. And uh, Ricky Gervais, Stephen Merchant, Robin Ince, and Jimmy Carr yeah. uh, did a show at the Edinburgh Fringe together. Yeah, four hander in two thousand and one. Mm -hmm. 
when he was on the 11 o'clock show, he had this yeah. kind of obnoxious character, didn't he? So I, I presume that's what he was <laughs> yes. probably doing. Probably something that, along those time. lines. Oh, yeah, as you say, on the 11 o'clock show, Ricky Gervais was on air as well. He wasn't just a writer. Mm-hmm. They were writing sketches as well. Actually, I just remembered something, right? I was about my school. Remember I was telling you about Mr. Morris, the PE teacher? Yeah. Right? He used to try and impress all the divs with stories, usually about sex, right? And he told us this, and he's meant to, we were meant to believe it. He said that when you're captured by cannibals, they show you pornographic pictures so you get an erection and there's more meat. <laughs> that's what he, that is what he, that's true, right? So you're in the pot. And the chief is adding a bit of salt and thumbing through a copy of Big and Bouncy. And you're going, oh, don't kill me, I don't want to die. Look at the mutton shutters on that. <laughs> Doing your plate right into their hands. More meat. Yeah, thanks very much, Gervais. As usual, nothing to do with anything. But yeah, he obviously enjoys that sort of the grotesquerie of all that. But you know, other people, yeah. uh, Mackenzie Crook was a regular on the 11 o'clock show, for example. Also, obviously, Mackenzie Crook went on to be in the office. Uh, they also wrote, sketches for bruiser which i don't know if you remember bruiser as a as a sketch show no go on tell me tell me about bruiser i don't remember bruiser well it was a sketch show but it brought together quite a few um up-and-coming talents at that time so martin freeman was one of them um obviously he a couple of years later was in the office olivia coleman and matthew holness are both in it um who both turn up in the office Uh, mitchell and webb were in it before they got their own Mm -hmm. show but yeah, so let's, uh, how did they jump from being these kind of, you know, working sketch writers to being the the people who changed comedy forever? <laughs> During this time, Ricky, Ricky Gervais was obviously getting some notice, the 11 o'clock show thing. And off the back of that, he got the Ricky Gervais show, which was a chat show format in which he interviewed people, mostly people who he remembered from his childhood, <laughs> from what I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, like Peter Purvis, uh, yeah. Jimmy Savile. And was that the same character of obnoxious Ricky Gervais? A little bit, not quite. I don't think he quite turned it up as much because he had to actually have a dialogue with people. But yeah, it is him being a, he's being the Ricky Gervais character, yeah. Yeah. And during this time, other things were going on. So Stephen Merchant went to do a production course at the BBC because mm-hmm. uh, that's what he wanted to do. And basically as part of that, he had to make a short film and so what he made was this little short about uh you know a boss in the office who's a bit uh kooky a bit Mm -hmm. bit gross and it was based on this character that ricky gervais kind of played sometimes you know it was just one of his comedy bits that he would do a bit of a characterization and so they did that that got shown to somebody somebody liked it to to the point where they were like okay you know what there's a pilot here let's do a pilot and their producer asha tala was involved in that somehow i'm not quite sure but that got them a pilot which they shot and you know that was a much more complete thing like martin freeman and lucy davis are both in the pilot mackenzie crooks in the pilot you know it's kind of all there okay Uh, and that led to the first series of the office and david brent was born but just before all that happened, uh, there's a famous kind of another pilot they did called Golden Years. I'm sure you've heard of that. I don't think I have. Go on. So there was, it was a Comedy Lab pilot. So Channel 4 again, I say, where they had some nice connections there. And Comedy Lab was a series that just did these like one-off little sitcom pilots. And uh, some of them led to I, I think I remember The Strand. Yeah, that Peter Kay thing, that started as a Comedy Lab, for example. Yeah, and, that's, yeah that's why I've heard of it, yeah. And so their one was called Golden Years. It's about a boss of an office who <laughs> who wants to go on Stars in the Rise as David Bowie. So it's the ultimate oh, nexus of Ricky Gervais material, <laughs> really. Yeah. Write what you know, Ricky. It's, if you if you watch it, you know, it's it's easy to find out there. It's 
got so many elements of the office in it, or at least of the David Brent character. Mm-hmm. But it's just turned up a little bit more onto the seedy side. It, it's, okay. He's just a little bit more sexual, predatory kind of, and, and a bit more dirty. Uh, but the but very, <laughs> yeah. But a lot of the same elements going on there. A lot of the same elements, and I think basically what happened with the with the office, they'd they'd already had this. They'd had time to hone this and and work it out. See, okay, well that doesn't quite play. This is, good. and so by the time they got to the office, they've really come down onto this very. We're playing this real mockumentary style and obviously that was a response to what was going on at the time in terms of reality tv a lot of the fly on the wall documentaries and making kind of stars out of these normal people so to speak so famously the office came out and it wasn't a huge success it just sort of went out on bbc2 but it got word of mouth i mean it it got nominated for awards and things like that uh well i think it won awards didn't it win best new comedy at the at the baftas Baftas, like that so yeah (laughs) So yeah. it was one of those things that didn't catch an audience, but everyone, but people certainly in the know kind of went, oh, hello, that was interesting. And then it got a bit of word of mouth. So by the time, so it got, it got a second series. And by the time the second series came out, they'd repeated mm. the first series. It had gained a bit of traction. And that's when it went huge. And then for whatever reason, mm. even though it's such a British show, I think, it, it really translated to an American audience as well. And that's when you know you, yeah. you've changed the world, you know, you've, uh, when you break America. Mm. And yeah, obviously, absolutely. we see where Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant have, have gone to since then. I mean, they've obviously gone on to a huge success and have managed to translate that for the best part of 20 years now. It wasn't a flash in the pan. They went and they didn't just have a hit in America. They went and broke America. They did. But let's bring ourselves back to the point here. So the first thing they did next in te- television was extras. And obviously, the hook of extras are all these Hollywood celebrities that they could get on board. Clearly, people like Samuel L. Jackson, Kate Winslet, they must have been fans of The Office. Yes, and from what I understand, the the concept of that basically came from, you know, a lot of celebrities, you know, publicly would state, oh, I really like The Office, it's amazing, you know. And so they were like, well, let's see if we can convert that into letting them come over and film for a day, mm-hmm. for, you know, next to no money. So to get in, so get jump into extras, one of my first complaints, I guess, about the celebrity guests is that when it's a massive celebrity guest like Samuel Jackson, it's so apparent that they were there for three hours, they filmed a cameo, mm-hmm. and then the rest yes. of the episode just goes on. Yeah. Whereas when it integrates the celebrity guest into the thing, Les Dennis, Ross Kemp, yeah. it just works so much better. <laughs> it's, it has so much more body. I think you're right. I think you're right. And in that first series, there's a, there's a real different... Well, yeah, so there's six episodes, and three of the episodes, Ben Stiller, Kate Winslet, Samuel L. Jackson. Well, mm. sorry, four, because this one as well, Patrick Stewart. They're mm. all big stars who, as you say, they come in for a couple of hours, film the scene, and then they disappear again. And it's great. It's really good. It's really, it's, it's really sort of great novelty value. But they're not integral to the plot. And I will say, actually, to be fair... Samuel Jackson, I mean, it is a cameo. But the others, you know, Ben Stiller, there's a few scenes he really has to... It's, the character is important to the, to the body of the yeah. episode. Kate Winslet is layered in throughout, and it's, yeah. that's some nice funny bits there. Yeah, Patrick Stewart is basically just in one scene, but it's a nice scene. Well, Patrick Stewart, I mean, we, we, we'll get... Because this is our episode, but Patrick Stewart, at the end of the episode, there's a scene where 
Andy Millman plays a voicemail from Patrick Stewart. It's like, they, did they add that later after he'd gone home and they couldn't? <laughs> they had to just get him to record it on sound because it, it just seemed pretty uh, egregious that they they yeah. you know, they could only do it by voice. But you understand how why they can only get the person for one yeah, day or whatever. Of course. But then you've got Les Dennis, Ross Kemp, and Les Dennis who are. They're, they're, yeah, there's a lot of pathos in those episodes. That is, that is the idea of celebrity eating itself. Celebrity, mm. you know, these guys who are a victim of their own image, and just mm. trying to see the person underneath them. And those those two episodes, I think, are the are the stronger episodes. They're different and they work better. I think. Yeah, I agree. And if we if we try and get into the minds of Merchant and Gervais in terms of where they were coming from, obviously they had had this huge success they'd spent a lot of time on film sets by this point and so they'd gone you know the world of extras the world of the supporting artists it's a it's a kooky place it's some kind of weird and wonderful characters there's a lot of material there and this is for the more for the second series but they know what it's like to have sudden celebrity mm. thrust upon yes. you and and, yes. and that sort of thing so they obviously wanted to explore that and i think in the first series you're exploring that with the likes of les dennis he's had success mm. and now what is he kind of idea uh, but let's concentrate on the first series. I have a bit of a of a personal stake in this. I've done a lot of work as an extra. Yeah, I'm curious to know your take on how... Because cause a running theme throughout this is how the extras themselves are just treated like cattle. And, and you know, they're, like, yeah. they're not allowed on the same bus as the real actors. And, mm-hmm. and they're sort of moved around like chess pieces on a board. And it's, all, it's almost like they're, they're treated like livestock. Is that overplayed or is it literally that like that? I, I I made some notes actually as I went through. I th- I'm going to write down the things that really kind of like, <laughs> oh my god, yeah, that's true. They've got that. Yeah. So just to give a bit of context, I I'm an actor. Well, obviously I'm an Andy Millman level actor. I'm I'm a, you know I'm a struggling actor. No one's ever heard of me, and I do extra work because it's a good way to pay the bills. And here's the first crucial difference. And here's something if you're an actor out there that you need to know. Yeah. Doing extra work is nothing to do with acting. It has n- no connection to acting at all. If you want to be an actor and you think doing extra work is going to help you in any way, uh-huh. you are incorrect. Right. Absolutely incorrect. What's more, you kind of get looked down upon for doing it because yes. because there are lots of people who think doing extra work means they're an actor and it's like they're shunned because they mm-hmm. don't know what they're talking about. For me personally, it's just a great way to make a bit of money with a flexible schedule and keeps me available. I'd prefer to do that than work three days in a cafe. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I, for me, it works fine, but it has nothing to do with acting. You don't have to do any acting unless you think walking across a room is acting, uh, although you would be surprised some people aren't very good at that. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that, that, that rang true, though, was there are people who do extra work and think it that is a way to get into acting. Yes. However, they don't usually have the self-awareness of an Andy Millman, who really does seem to know kind of yeah. where he is in his career. But, okay, so here's some things that kind of rang true for me. Yeah, there's a bus for the extras. There's there's a bus for other people. Mm. You do not mix. I mean, the mm. actors generally have their own trailers and stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, j- that kind of thing. Being treated like your cattle, yes, definitely, especially if you're in a huge crowd scene of like 200 people. Because you have to move a bunch of people into a place and none of them are listening to you. And so they have to treat you like cattle. It's the only way to make it work. But what about the... There's a scene where Ricky Gervais is in the background and he sort of moves into shot slightly so that he can, you know, he'll be on screen. As as the, the director calls cut and as Ricky Gervais is walking away, the director says something like, can we cut that fat bloke out? 
<laughs> like, you know, just really, really disrespectful. And that, that was like, oh, come on. Come on, just a human being is not going to do that. Yeah, not really. I mean, okay, so first of all, yes, there are people who are desperately want to get their face in screen. Oh, that bit I didn't doubt. <laughs> yeah, personally, I'm get to the back as far away as possible because you earn the same regardless and you can do a lot less at the back. <laughs> uh, but but like I, I understand it if you just like oh I get to see myself when the film comes out I get it if you if you're an actor and you think that means something then you, you sure. have no idea like what an acting career is uh, which that's my first kind of problem with Andy Millman I think it's just a complete m mistake in the, that character that he thinks this is acting uh, but we'll get into that we'll get into that character a lot more because I think there's a lot of things about Andy Millman that displays he does not know what he's doing as an actor yes uh, and about his career well well i think that this this idea of treating them like cattle it reaches its peak in the the final the, the christmas special where mm. maggie is she's playing a prostitute opposite clive owen and they're yeah. basically talking about how ugly she is and clive owen's saying look at the state of her you know i wouldn't pay for that and and it's it it, it like so many things it's like they they've got this joke and Ricky Gervais has really wound it up. And, oh, this is really funny. Let's let's do more of it. Come on, keep writing. Keep writing. It's feeling yeah. really awkward now. Let's keep on it. Keep on it. And it just feels like, oh, God, this is too much now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It feels like a, a, a passing comment about someone is kind of more realistic. Yeah. And it, it stretches it beyond the beyond the realms of realism. Yeah. But I, I mean, there, there's some truth to that in the sense of people don't look at you as you're a human. So, for example, when the costume people are coming to check, they're looking at you, but they're kind of looking through you. They're not looking at you as a person. They're looking at you as a prop that is holding uh -huh. the costume. Yeah. The, the the hair and makeup come and they look, they're not looking at you. They're looking at your hair. You know, it's that sort of thing. Yeah. You, you'll be lined up and people will come and go, no, I don't like this. Uh, get rid of that. Uh, you know, and it's like they'll be talking about costume or whatever. But there is a lot of loss of humanity about it. And you just kind of get used to that. And you don't take it personally yeah, because they're see, not. I think that would wind me up. <laughs> well, that, that's the other thing. Okay. This is specifically about Andy Millman. Yes. To do extra work long term, you have to have a very specific personality. You have to be patient and you have to be very tolerant and you have to understand and, and be empathetic to other people because. Yeah. The people who look after the extras are the crowd third ADs, right? Yeah. And they are basically the absolute lowest of the low uh -huh. in, in the crew. And if the crowd aren't where they're supposed to be when they're expected, they're the one who gets shouted at. And they're 23, yeah. just out of uni, and they're desperate to try and keep, you know, impress. And, and you know, that translates mm -hmm. in lots of different ways. And you will get some young third ads who kind of get a little bit angry and start shouting at people and that is not a good way to deal with people so yeah. you think you always think mm, they're not gonna last personally i, I don't care you yeah. know I i'm a prop that moves i'm a prop that has to be fed and that's annoying to them but i understand it i'm a, <laughs> I'm a prop and you're paying me to be a prop I'm, that's okay so that was another thing that really rang true though extras who just moan all the time and that is what Norman <laughs> does extras who moan and who push back and kind of give a bit of stick to the AD who are just yeah. trying to do their job. And that's what Andy Millman is. And Andy Millman would not last as long as he did in the extras game. Be not because people would go, right, we're not working with him again. Although, yes, that would work. That would happen. But just because he would go, I can't do this. This is too annoying. I'm going to have to do something else. Okay, I accept that. But the whole premise of extras from the first episode to the end of the Christmas special is, is the humiliation of and Andy Millman. The realisation that his principles are worthless that he, his image of himself is always sacrificed to the next step on the ladder. 
maybe but i think his image of himself is totally wrong he doesn't he doesn't know what he's doing he doesn't know the world he's in hmm. and through i guess luck he keeps moving up the ladder well here's a question for you alan so i i said you know i wanted to ask you about what the real experience of being an extra was like and you've given us some good insight there my, my question is what the hell does ricky gervais know about being an extra like how how, how did he yeah. research this you know how did they figure that out yeah, I, I think that's a good question, actually, because I heard Stephen Merchant once telling a story. He was shooting a pilot for something, and he got talking to one of the extras, and he was basically saying, like, oh, God, this weird guy, and he was telling stories about this kind of kooky extra. Mm. So that was obviously laying a seed. He's just talked to someone who's, oh, this is a weird, oh, the world of extras is kind of weird people. And that's definitely true. There are some very weird people. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why, because it's the sort of job that is done by people who don't have a real job. Yes. Now, that can translate to many things. Because it's just kind of odd days here and there, it's sporadic, things get cancelled very last minute, you can't work it around a regular kind of nine-to-five job. So the sort of people yeah. who do it are, you know, actors. Uh, I meet a lot of artists, you know, dancers, singers, uh -huh. people who are just making a bit of money on the side while they're pursuing yeah. a career in something else. There's uh, retired people who are just doing it here and there when they get extra money, yeah. gets them out of the house. And then there are people who just can't hold down a job and are weird. Mm. 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 <laughs> and yeah, there's you. quite a lot of those people. <laughs> That's one that comes through when there's an episode where he has to deal with the character played by Steve Spears. Yes. That's the one where they really kind of go like, you know, on a, on a set when you're dealing with other extras, be careful who you talk to because some of them are weird. Yeah, right, that's interesting. That's the Sam Jackson episode. And that's, that, that's interesting because, as we said, with Sam Jackson, he's really only in one scene. And so that episode really would be better titled the Steve Spears episode because yeah. that's, the, that's the meat of the plot. And yeah, he's just, he's just a boring bloke. And there are some excruciating scenes as, you know, Andy Millman tries to get away from him and, and he fails and he ends up, you know. It's, the, it's your classic Gervais comedy of embarrassment. Yeah. Do you know what my biggest problem with that episode was? I, I really like Steve Spears. I think he's a really good actor. And yeah. the premise of the episode is he's this really boring guy who you're desperate to get away from. But I think he's quite charismatic. I just, I just liked him too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. But I, I quite like that. But, but, but your take on that is interesting. So my take was he's a boring guy. Your take is he's a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, obviously he's just casting people aside as weirdos is you know obviously a bit unfair but there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of people where you go okay i see why you haven't got a job mm. <laughs> well so here's a question bringing it back to our uh, main cast is that what maggie is because if andy millman wants to be an actor he's an actor who's doing extra work we never yeah. really know what maggie's doing she she's she's basically what you've just described lost yes and frankly i think that's one of the biggest failings with the maggie character particularly when we get into the second series and try and develop that a little bit we never know what she is what she wants no no there's nothing yeah ultimately she is a little bit of a of a, of a weirdo but because she comes across as quite a nice normal person if a little bit ditzy mm. you don't understand why like why did you never get a, find a career that you were uh, wanted to do and you know there's loads of reasons why that might be but we not we never question that. We never really get into that. And as a as a woman in your mid thirties, there's all sorts of questions that society is asking of you. So even if yeah. as a even as a writer you decide that the character isn't interested in those things, you kind of have to acknowledge that. And she's obviously on the hunt for a man all the time. That's kind yeah. of one of the. And we get we get a scene where 
there's a voicemail from her parents sort of asking what she's yes. up to, you know, that kind of thing. Well, that's in this episode, which well, yeah. I'll get to that later because, mm. yeah, that's... It just kind of comes out of nowhere. But the thing, the thing with the thing, the problem with Mag- Maggie is that she is so she's she's so sweet and charming. She's just lovely. Mm. She's really lovely. Yeah. She's the heart of this program. She's the she, oh, definitely. Ashley Jensen is the secret weapon of X. Definitely, I think. yeah. Completely and 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 agree. just to and to contrast that, what my my big takeaway from this watching this again. So I haven't watched this for years. I haven't watched this actually since before I started doing extra work. So that was a nice, interesting kind of extra element for me. Oh, that's good. Yeah. But the really, the, I remember really enjoying it. It's funny, yeah. I like Ricky Gervais. I like Stephen mm-hmm. Merchant stuff, right? Having watched this again now, maybe ten years later, the one thing I took away from this, the really big thing I took away was, wow, Andy Millman is a total dickhead. I yeah. don't like him at all. Yeah. yeah. And for some reason, I got the impression that that's not really deliberate from the writers. He's not written to be an unlikable character. Obviously, he has those traits, mm. but I think ultimately we're supposed to be on board with him, right? I don't know. I, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think he's, I think he's horrible. He's, he's nasty and cynical and manipulative. And, and the contrast with Maggie, you know, she's innocent and credulous, and she sometimes puts her foot in it and says the wrong thing and reveals too much and drops Andy in it. But he always yeah. deserves it. You know, all she's done is tell the truth that he is, you know, he said this horrible thing. So so it, it sort of turns out that she's somehow sabotaging him, but she's not. He's sabotaging himself. He's horrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, that they, they do use that a lot where he says something to her, you know, not necessarily in confidence, but that most people would understand you don't go spreading that around. And then she just goes and tells everyone yeah. in an innocent way. Because she's innocent and credulous and, and sweet. <laughs> Yeah. I think, I, I think I'm in love with Ashley Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But that's also, again, because she comes across so sweet, you think, well, why is she struggling to find a man? Although she doesn't struggle to find men interested in her. No. Uh, but And then we see her go on a date and something goes wrong. Yeah. But it's always, like, it's never anything that major. You know what I mean? It's, like, not her fault, necessarily. Mm. It's mm. It always just, like, well, it has to go wrong because that's what's funny. But we yeah. haven't quite figured out how to make that work. Yeah. yeah, It's not inconsistency to the character, but it's just a sort of lack of depth. I think what Andy Millman does, and perhaps this could relate back to Ricky Gervais in some way, but I think what Andy Millman does is surround himself with people who he can look down on yeah. so that he feels better about himself. Yeah. So Maggie is... He's always in control of that situation because he's cleverer mm-hmm. than her and he can talk around her and make her laugh and, and kind of that makes yeah. him happy. Uh, and I'm saying that in kind of a negative way, but that's fine. You know, I understand that. And then his agent as well, who is the most useless, ridiculous, mm. like comedically bad agent. But just to relating to that, I think the reason Andy sticks with him and keeps him around is because he knows he's better than him <laughs> and it makes him feel yes. better about himself. Yeah. And when he gets in the Christmas special, when he gets a, a, a more competent agent, mm. the more competent agent tells him the hard truths that he doesn't want to hear. Yeah. And kind of treats him as not his most important client because he's not. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll come back to Merchant's performance there. That's, that's, that's certainly interesting. Well, I'll tell you what, we, we're sort of dallying around. Let's actually jump into our episode because, you know, we haven't been that specific. Let's about do that. It. Yes, we're, we're, we're going around all over the place here, which is our way. But yes, let's open our episode. So we open with Patrick Stewart. So, so most of the episodes open with the celebrity doing their thing on camera that they are... Yeah. The, the, the Andy Millman is extra. The film in, within in. the film, yeah. Yeah. So we have Patrick Stewart, who's uh, he's doing his best show. He's doing his Prospero. He's doing, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. 
so so he's emoting and doing this great Shakespearean speech. Meanwhile, we have Maggie and Andy who are sort of sitting behind the scenes watching. And mm. rather than being awed by this great Shakespearean actor, Maggie asks one of her classic "Would you rather" questions. And uh, yeah. you know, which is which is a sort of great little insight into their mentality. So yeah, we we have uh, one of our regular characters here in this scene uh, in Greg, who is a fellow extra. Well, he's a fellow extra who is also an actor, a bit like Andy Millman, and he's he's a classic sitcom nemesis. He mm. always sort of appears at, at the most embarrassing moments for Millman. And uh, in, uh, what what I think is curious about Greg is that throughout his career develops throughout this. Yeah, he's always one step ahead of, of Ricky yes. Gervais, and I think that works really well. Well, yeah, I think obviously that's that's the whole point, you know. No matter how successful Andy Millman is, this guy's just one just one step ahead. But also, it's it's not just a one step ahead. But uh, Greg ends up with the career that Andy Millman dreams of. Andy Millman, although he has got success, yes. has come at a price that he is ultimately not mm. willing to pay. Yeah, uh, Sean Pye, who plays Greg, the perfect level of smugness. It is, it is I think this really character is excellent. He sort of pops up. I, I don't know if he's in every episode, he's in most episodes, but mm. only ever for one scene. Yeah, he's they just, don't overuse He's it. just, nice. every single moment that Andy Millman is humiliated in some way, Greg's just there looking, watching. And it's, yes. it's almost like he's playing the part of, of, of Andy Millman's conscience, just <laughs> dragging him back down and saying, you failed. You are not the success you thought you were. <laughs> yeah. But with a smug look on his face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you, you can kind of imagine if Ricky Gervais's own conscience was personified, it would be smug. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so Sean Pye there, who plays... Yeah, who Greg, is Sean Pye? I don't know. I've, I've not seen him in anything else. Not really an actor. Uh, but uh, he's done the odd bits and pieces, but he's a writer. And he wrote on the 11 o'clock show. So I think they must know him kind of from, from right. there. But he co-created uh, Monkey Dust, which was like an animated sketch show that was on... Uh, I remember Monkey Dust. Monkey Dust was great. He did a sitcom called Respectable, which did one series on Channel 5. Channel Oof. 5 sitcom, who knew? Remember them? Um, and he also co-created the increasingly poor decisions of Todd Margaret with uh, David Cross. Uh, do you know what? I, I tried an episode of that and really disliked it. Never went mm. back to it. David Cross in Britain with uh, mm. Neil out of the in-between. Neil, yeah, that's right. And I think what Gervais and Merchant do like to do is bring in kind of new actors or you know people who are not yeah. that well known and there's a because there's a lot of improv and just playing around on their sets i think it does it, it does work towards people who aren't necessarily that sort of i'm a strictly i'm an actor and this is what they want kind mm. of funny people really comedians and, and, mm. and a more naturalistic style so back to our episode and just before we move off that scene can we just talk about the the discussion that they have with Greg because it's again it's an example of Maggie undermining Andy so yeah. um Andy's trying to trying to be the great big I am around Greg and she completely undermines him by telling him that his first girlfriend looked like Ronnie Corbett yeah <laughs> and his response is and it's a good night from me <laughs> which i think was the funniest line in the show <laughs> This is the other thing about Andy Millman that it's like, and you got to remember this. This was made in two thousand six, okay, and we'll see a bit more of this when we get to the gay panic later on. But mm. how quickly things change. So this is just fifteen years old, but already you think, wow, that's aged quite badly. And there's just mm, yeah. other things that the Andy Millman character sort of says, where he kind of goes, oh no, no, I get birds all the time. It, like he's yeah. he's just like desperately this kind of oh man, I need to protect my masculinity kind of thing, which is very 90s, I think. Um, yeah. But for, for 
a man of Andy Millman's age in 2006 is makes sense. It's, so I'm not saying he shouldn't be doing that, but uh, just using a word like birds, for example, is so 90s. But um, mm. there's elements like that, which again, you just think, ah, oh, he's kind of just pathetic, isn't he, Andy Millman? <laughs> like he is. Oh, he's and we never, he is we never really dig down into why, why has he had so much trouble with women then in his past, clearly? Why does he struggle with relationships? Oh, it's because he's a dick. <laughs> it's because he's quite unpleasant yeah. to everyone around yeah. him. <laughs> he's horrible. So what's the next scene then? We, the next scene is Patrick Stewart's trailer. Yes, yeah, so we see Andy Millman, who is an extra, just wander into Patrick Stewart's trailer. And they do acknowledge this in the in the dialogue. He walks in and goes, you know what, I'm probably going to get fired for this. But, and yes, uh, let's mm. talk about being extra. Yes, you would get fired for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You would just get thrown off set immediately. Yeah. This prop's broken. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say it's an unwritten rule, but I think it's very much written down somewhere. You don't talk to the talent. Yeah. And this is... And this is something that really does not ring true about extras. There is really very, very, mm. very little communication between extras and the the talent, the real actors. Like even mm. just where, so, you know, Kate Winslet wanders over, she's getting a cup of tea and she just chats to them, which I'm sure Kate Winslet is a lovely person and might yeah. just chat to people. But that doesn't happen. First of all, the extras are held somewhere else. They have their own tea station, if at all. Um, In a pen. The actors get their a different uh, or, well the actors have someone bring tea to them actually is what happens but you know they yeah. go to a different place the crew have craft services they have a different section they go to for food but also as an actor even if you're a very nice person you're happy to talk to people if you talk to one person then everyone was going to talk to you and you're you've got a job of work to do you've got mm. to be thinking about what the hell you're doing you're probably thinking about your lines you've got to be you've got to be pretending that acting's a serious craft don't you <laughs> exactly yes so this this scene in Patrick Stewart's trailer where, where you know, Patrick Stewart, unlikely as it is, hears him out and listens to his, yeah. uh, his script idea. But then this is, this, is the, this is the scene where Patrick Stewart's, you know, sending himself up. Mm. And I think that Kate Winslet and Patrick Stewart are the two cameos, I think probably in the whole thing, where they are clearly having a great time and really enjoying yeah. themselves. Yeah. You know, Patrick Stewart's talking about his script idea and how he's got the power to make women's clothes fall off and, and she's scrabbling around trying to find her clothes but of course by then i've seen everything i've seen it all <laughs> brilliant what a great performance. really funny what a, what a fantastic performance he plays it so straight he's got completely this straight his face <laughs> absolutely no wink to camera it is it, it's it's a beautiful acting performance he's, he's really doing good pretending <laughs> <laughs> so th- this is another thing which i think is not particularly good writing uh, of this sitcom Andy Millman is an actor, and we see that he's a struggling actor. He's not got very far in his career. Give me one point in the five episodes before this that he mentions he's a writer, or wants to write, or is interested in trying to create his own material. That's a fair point, yeah. You see, see I hadn't thought about that, because in my head, Andy Millman is just Ricky Gervais. So I know <laughs> Ricky Gervais is a writer, but, but that is a really good point. Dramatically speaking, it's uh, out of the blue. Yeah, it, it's come out of nowhere. And, you know, actors often are trying to make their own material. But, like, let's at least have a mention of that. And this is another thing. A- again, Andy Millman doesn't know what being an actor is. And I suspect Ricky Gervais and Steve Merchant doesn't, don't know that either, or at least didn't know at this point. Mm. They've, they don't know what it's like to be an actor who's scrabbling around trying to find a, a job. No. because They, they got were. into acting through writing. That's why they think that's the way you do it. Yeah. And this is one thing that really doesn't ring true throughout the whole series. In the first series, 
Andy Mulman is a nobody actor with a nobody agent. As far as we can tell, has no experience as a professional actor whatsoever. He thinks being an extra mm. is being an actor, so he obviously doesn't know what he's talking about. And then when a job <laughs> comes up doing panto with Les Dennis, of all people, this is not some small-scale panto. This is obviously a big job yeah. playing a major, major role in a panto. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. Well, what, what are you doing then as an actor? What, yeah. what is this? He's waiting for the, the De Niro call. <laughs> yeah. He just doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, yeah. But I don't think it's presented as this character doesn't know what they're doing and we're laughing at them. I think it's just that Gervais and Merchant think, oh, well, if you do that kind of acting, that's pathetic. Well, because, but, but, but that's because, you know, Gervais and Merchant, whether they deserved it or not, they got a lucky break and a huge success the first time out. I think, I think they would understand on a conscious level that that's not normal. But, but nevertheless, that is a routine. But yeah, but it's that, that's what really annoyed me from my own point of view in this the first series particularly of that struggling actor mentality. Mm. I mean, you don't really say no to anything. You know, even if you even if you're not bothered about the money and you think, well, I don't want to do adverts, it's just a good solid professional credit that then kind of goes on your CV and people go, okay, well, this person sure. gets work, so let's let's get them in. Yeah, and Andy Andy Millman wouldn't do that. He would just say, that's beneath me. I'm not doing it. But even when he's an established actor and he becomes an overnight star, he's then like, oh, well, I'm not doing a bit part in Doctor Who. <laughs> like, well, why yeah. not? What do you, who do you think you are? Like, what, what yeah. do you think you are? Like, it doesn't, and that, it's frustrating throughout the whole thing because I just don't know what, what he thinks he is. Like, he thinks he's Ricky Gervais. He's, he, thinks he's, <laughs> he thinks he's Chris Rock's best mate. So we never see Andy Millman. We very, very rarely ever see him laugh. Or, or really, you know, he makes a couple of jokes with Maggie, but he's a very miserable, yeah. dour person. Except when he's with Jonathan Ross uh, in the second series. and <laughs> That's right, yes. And he's just Ricky Gervais. Ricky Gervais is doing a scene with Jonathan Ross and is not That's acting, right. forgot to act, forgot he's supposed to be a character and is just being I Ricky had that Gervais. note too, yeah. And there's things like that in the second series where it's just like we start to lose track of what it is. And if and if you were really playing that, like Andy Millman is, likes Jonathan Ross so much that he kind of comes out of his shell and is a new person and all this, that would be one thing, but it's not. Mm. And in fact, by the end... The kind of point of that episode is like, oh no, you know what? I need to forgo Jonathan Ross because I need to get back to my real friend, the Maggie, yeah. in which I can go and be miserable with her. Yeah. All these elements. And I think the second series gets worse for that because they've got this whole ongoing story. The sitcom is no longer episodic. It is just a, a three hour long kind of journey of this yes. character. But the journey is staccato. It's just moments. It's just, oh, here's, mm. oh, I've done this wrong. And here's the, the res resolution of that. Yeah, I think so. And and I when we I was watching the Christmas special, I've written down unearned pathos, and it just feels like okay, we need to do something sad now. Let's do let's put the sad bit in here. Uh, I think that is a summation of extras. Is is it's unearned. Most of the emotional beats are unearned. Whereas actually, to to mm. contrast that, the Les Dennis arc in that episode, great. You know, yeah. we see the journey. Really good. Why can't we do that more? Why can't we do that with Andy Millman over a longer yeah. period? What we get here in this episode is essentially a, a warm-up for series two. You know, it's he has a bit of success. It gets threatened. He does something wrong. He mm. falls out with Maggie. Big gesture at the end to win it back, like that's a Richard two. Curtis film. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's that's it. It's, it's very basic. Yeah. Let's go back to our episode. So now we've got a nice introduction to uh, Darren, the agent, and Barry, of course. So, so the next scene is in, in Darren's office. And obviously, you know, the joke throughout is that he's completely incompetent as an agent. Mm. 
every scene he's in, he starts off with this bravado, and uh, Milman, Andy Millman calls him out, and he just crumbles. And you've sort of got Barry in the background. In this scene, he's licking envelopes. You know, he's just doing menial work, yeah. whatever, whatever. You know, the most degrading thing that they can. Think and a nice, and there's nice detail. So, for example, <laughs> Barry is sat on. Um like a, a stool thing. It's like, you know, the yeah. thing you use to get up to a high shelf. It's not a proper chair, basically, is the point. He hasn't got, he hasn't got a desk. He's just got he the even got a chair. on his knee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay, shall we shall we talk about these characters before we get into the scene? Yeah, yeah, let's. How they're established. Let's. Stephen Merchant playing Darren Lamb, the agent. Now, Stephen Merchant obviously has done quite a lot of acting these days. This was still pretty early on. He has a cameo in The Office, but it is a cameo. Mm. And... Stephen Merchant's acting style is not The Office. It's not kind of realistic. <laughs> but are you saying his acting style or is that just this character? Well, I've seen him do other things. <laughs> <laughs> this is fine. This is a sitcom character and he's doing sitcom acting. And that's fine. But it's not this sitcom, is it? The, these two mm. characters that's are the true. broadest elements of all this. With yeah. then you could yeah. you could, for example, throw in some of the other guests like Keith Cheguin, I think, comes over very kind of mm-hmm. a little bit more broad, but mm. even that he's playing it quite naturalistically. But the the Darren Lamb and, and Barry dynamic is completely odd to the rest of the show. Yeah. And to be frank, I probably find it the funniest bits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. It's it's a nice it's a nice bit of uh, fresh air. It's a nice bit of humor in in yeah. amongst the bleakness. But I think they in the second series and again I think they lose their way a little bit. They beef up those characters, they bring them in more and more, mm. and I think that's not a good idea. We start getting their own little storylines, things going yeah. on that they're doing that are separate from Andy. And that's kind of, it's just, it starts to disperse the story too much. And I mm. think that's a mistake, but it's obviously like we enjoy playing these characters. We enjoy writing these characters. So let's just put more in. But now, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting thing to do. So now I'm thinking about afterlife. My problem with afterlife, one of my problems with afterlife is that it feels like every week's episode is a tour. So we've got these characters over there doing that. We've got these characters over here. They're doing their thing. And we just go and see those. No, okay, let's go over to the cemetery and see Penelope Wilton and see what she's saying this week. And, and the, the, these different groups of characters never interact with each other. It's just, it's, only, yeah. it's, like a, it's like a soap opera where you see what these guys are doing in the house. Who's, who's in the pub tonight? And yeah. what you just described there is, a, is an early example of that, I think, where you've got these two characters in the first series, yes, they only exist to interact with Andy. But then it's almost like they've got their own little spin-off within the episodes. Yeah, and let's be clear. So the, the certainly in the first series, our characters are Andy and Maggie. Mm. The, those are the people that we care about. They're any emotional journey they're going on. And if we have yeah. scenes with Maggie on her own, that's fine. Darren, the lamb, and, and, and Barry from EastEnders, and indeed all the celebrity guests, are there to fuel those stories, are there to inform those stories. Yes. They're not, they don't have their own bit. Even if Les Dennis has his whole character arc, what mm. we're really seeing is how that affects Andy. We're seeing it through Andy's eyes. Mm. And, and the point of that is that he's like, oh God, I found out his wife's, his girlfriend's cheating on him. Should I tell him? We lose that in the second series because we start to see kind of other things going on. It just becomes fractured and disparate and, and not as funny as well, which is the important thing, I think. Yeah. 
And that's all we've got time for this week. Do come back next time when we will be continuing this discussion and looking at some other elements of extras, such as the other actors, Ashley Ensign and Barry from EastEnders. And of course, we'll be going further into what happened in Series 2 and the changes they made. In the meantime, you can visit our social media, Instagram and Twitter. We are at BritcomPod. Go and join the conversation there. And you can watch our YouTube channel, British Sitcom History, where we have further content over and above the podcast. Thank you very much again, and we will see you next time.